Okay, everybody got your coffee? Okay, let's get going. We're in James chapter 2. We're in lesson 6. We're looking at verses 14 through 26. Now, today's lesson, I'm going to be very honest with you, is a very important lesson because what James is going to talk about here today really has to do with your faith and your belief. Really what we're going to be talking about here today is when you say you believe in Jesus, what is the evidence of that? Because a lot of people say they believe in Jesus. But James is going to point out to you but that simply saying you believe in Jesus Christ does not mean that you're saved, does not mean that you're going to go to heaven. In fact, one of the scariest things that's going to happen, and we, we see even Jesus talking about it in Matthew, is that in that day people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these great things in your name? And they'll list a whole bunch of things there. He lists a whole bunch of things there, casting out demons, all this stuff that they've done. But Jesus will reply to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, the interesting thing is you could say, well, those, those must be people who, who weren't believers. Well, yeah, they weren't believers, but here's the problem. They thought they were. They thought they were saved. They thought they were serving Jesus. But the reality was is they, they weren't. So what we're going to talk today is, is, is about faith. Now, let me just stop for a moment because that's really what the issue is. The issue isn't, do you believe in Jesus? The issue is, is do you have faith in Jesus? There's a difference. Belief can simply be just a mental cognitive thing in your mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where you believe facts about something. But the reality is, is that faith goes one step further than just simple belief. Faith goes to the step of trust, of a commitment to. Do you understand? To what you were believing in. I've used this illustration before. I'll give it to you again. I just recently went to the doctor for something. I'm sitting in the doctor's office. Every room I go in has got some sort of some sort of certificate or whatever that tells me that my family doctor is a doctor. How many of you know what I'm talking about when you go to the doctor's office? Okay, so you can look on the wall and you can see, wow, she went to that school, or wow, she's 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 a certified doctor. Wow. Okay. Now here's the thing. So when you're sitting there, you believe that the person who's about to check you is a doctor, right? So they come in and they do the examination of you, and they tell you what you need to do. Now, you believe them, but time will tell whether you trust them. What do you mean by that, George? Time will tell whether or not you trust them as your doctor by whether or not you do what you're doing with them. That's the issue of the whole issue I want to see you to see when it comes to Christianity. A lot of people believe that Jesus is the Son of God. However, they're going to hell because they're not trusting in the Son of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, haven't, they don't have faith in the Son of God. They have faith in themselves or faith in something else. In fact, here's a scary statistic. This has held true for the last 30 years in our churches in North America is that of people who call themselves born-again believers or saved, half of them are trusting in something else other than Jesus' shed blood for them, his sacrifice alone for them for salvation. They're trusting in something else. What do you mean they're trusting in something else? Well, the list is very big. 
My parents went to this church. I prayed a prayer. First of all, folks, prayer doesn't save you. Faith saves you. I got baptized. I live on the right side of the tracks. I've got education. I do the right things. That's not what saved you. Faith in Jesus Christ alone saves you. So this is what he's going to be talking about here today in our lesson. So let's look and see what James is saying here. All right, look, look with me at verse 14. Here's what James says. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay, let's stop right there for a moment. Let's look here. First of all, the false claim. He's going to pose a question to these believers who are reading this letter, which is a question for you and I. He poses another question here for you and I as readers. Okay? He's posing a question for us. Here's the question he's going to give us. He asks, what benefit is it to claim faith without any corresponding works? What benefit is it to sit there and say, you believe in Jesus, but your life doesn't show anything of that commitment? That's what he means by works here. He's not talking about good deeds per se, but he's talking about that if you are living by faith, that faith is going to be expressed out of your life. Do you understand? Through actions, but I'll even add to it, attitudes. So, He's saying, what benefit is it if you claim to have faith, but you don't have any corresponding works? Now, let me just stop for a moment. We, we could all relate to this because we hear this all the time from folks outside of the church because they sure have a clue about this. When they see somebody who's doing this who claims one thing, but their life doesn't express it, what do they say about that person? He is a what? A hypocrite. So we understand that, right? Not necessarily, because for some reason we don't. We think just simply saying, I believe in Jesus is enough. James is telling us here, he's posing a question to stir our thoughts here, to say, look, what what benefit is that? What benefit is that? Here's the other one. He asked if such faith will save him. Wow, wait a minute now. Look there. Can faith save him? If he's saying, if a person, let's say we've got Joe Schmo up here. Joe Schmo presses to, professes to be saved. He says he believes in Jesus. But Joe Schmo is doing everything the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. He's got a bad attitude. He's got a filthy mouth. He's, he's doing everything where he cheats. He cheats his employer. He's cheating on his wife. Steals from the kid's piggy bank. I mean, how much more can we get as far as being bad? I mean, I mean, he's a, he's a schmuck, right? Okay. 
So let me just explain something. But he says he's okay. He's saved because he remembers when grandma prayed with him. James is saying, what benefit is it for that guy who says he's saved, but there's nothing to back it up in his life? He's saying, does that kind of faith save a person? That's a question for you folks. Does it save them? Does that faith in Jesus, where he lives like that, save him? What's the answer? No, some of you are hesitant, though, because you're not sure. I don't know if I want to answer that, George. No, listen, folks. If you are truly saved and you are truly someone who walks with Christ and you have faith in him, we know that the Bible says in other places, like, for instance, Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, behold, you become a what? A new creature. The old things have passed away. Life should change. Attitudes should change. Now, actions aren't going to immediately change, but the attitude about the actions should change. Do you understand? What he's saying here is is that that kind of faith doesn't save a person. So now he gives them an illustration. He's going to use an illustration I think we can all relate to. He presents a story, James presents a story, of encountering someone who is destitute. So that's like if you're walking down the street and you see a beggar there. We don't have very much of this here in our area. But if you were in most of the major cities of the world, you would see this. He talks about you're going down the street and you see a guy who's destitute, who has nothing. In fact, he describes him here as what? Being naked, so he's barely clothed or unclothed. And he's starving. So here's the illustration. He says, rather than helping, you just simply pronounce a blessing. Rather than doing something for that person, you just simply say to that person, God bless you. The Lord bless you. You know, or here's another one. If you have enough faith, you'd be all right. Do you know what I'm saying? So here's what he's saying here. Rather than helping, you simply pronounce a blessing. Now here's what James says. James asked if such an encounter is beneficial. Now if you're the dude who's naked and starving, how are you going to benefit from that? Are you? Are you going to have warm feelings? I got blessed today. Is that going to keep you warm? Is that going to feed your belly? No. No, here's what he's saying. So here's the bottom line point he's saying. Just as that is meaningless, so is faith without corresponding works. So is faith without corresponding works. Let me just stop for a moment because I'll I'll pause right here in our lesson for this. Because some of you are like, oh, wow. I don't know, George. Because some of you right now, you know people like what I'm describing here right now. They profess Jesus. They say they're saved. But they live no different than the world. In their attitudes, in their actions, in their treatment of others, everything is just like the world. They live like an unsaved person. But you can't bring yourself to say in your mind that they're not saved. Because you're holding on to a hope that maybe that prayer with grandma 20 years ago was true. Folks, salvation is not a pastime event. 
Salvation, we even see it here in what James is talking about in this passage, is a present time thing. Where are you now? And your faith is not based upon what you did a long time ago. Your faith is based upon what you believe about right now. Do you understand? That's why some of you are like, I don't know if I believe it. Hold on a second, because listen to me. That's why do you think in the Bible it continually encourages you, we're going to look at it today in our passage for the morning message, about perseverance, about hanging on to the end, about continuing. That's why he'll give the thing about the, the, the sower who went up to sow out the seed, remember? And he talks about different seed that he sowed. Some of it sprung up, and when trials came and everything, they gave it up. They walked away. We've got to get away from looking at it as a pastime event and looking at it, where are you now presently in your faith with Jesus? Warm fuzzies about the past is not going to send you to heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ is. This is what he's talking about. Well, you say, well, wait a minute now, George. Maybe they're carnal. Maybe they truly are a believer and they're just living carnally right now. Yes, that's possible. But I'll be honest with you. A carnal believer is a miserable person. A carnal believer knows he's not doing right. An unsafe person doesn't care. A carnal believer knows that he's not right with Jesus. An unsafe person doesn't even think about it. He just does it. So there's a way you can tell is the attitude of that person towards whether or not what they're doing is right or wrong. Because why do I say that? Because a carnal believer has the Holy Spirit within him. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're going to be what? Chastised, folks. Doesn't God, what, judge his own children? So is it possible for somebody to live carnally for 20 years? I don't think so. This is the point that he's making here. That kind of faith is worthless faith. And one day when they wake up in heaven, excuse me, they won't wake up in heaven, when they've died and they open their eyes like the rich man, they're going to realize in their torment, I was living a lie. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Let's go on here. Here's the nature of faith. So he's going to tell us exactly what faith is. Because this is, this is a serious lesson here. So let's look at what faith is. Look again, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Here, here's, here's what's going on here. James presents, the, James presents the possible challenge. So somebody's maybe, he's, he's anticipating, sort of like I'm anticipating here, that I'm not going to get everybody on, on, on the same wavelength with me here today. He's anticipating that somebody's going to come to him and say, You have faith, I have works. He's saying that. You know, one person has faith, the other one has works. No, no, that's not what he's saying here. The challenge presents the assumption that faith and works are separate. Because immediately, the immediate challenge is, is that somebody would say, well, you know, hey, George, I don't have to have works to have faith. 
I don't have to work for my salvation. No, no, folks. We're not talking about what you do for salvation. The issue here, you may want to write it down in your notes, is what you do after salvation. The issue is what you do after salvation. It's not what you do for salvation. It's what's a result of salvation. And the point that James is making here is is that you can't distinguish between the two. You can't say, I got faith, you got your works. There can't be a divide there. You can't. What? They're connected together. How are they connected together? Because one comes out of the other. What do you mean by that? Out of faith comes what? Works. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you believe Jesus is the Son of God that He died for you, and you're putting your trust and your faith there, out of that faith then comes what? Actions that change. And he said, well, that, George, you've even told us before that that doesn't change immediately. Yeah, you're right. I've told you before. Like, I look at my life, okay, in 1985, April of 1985, I'm a freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina, and I come to Jesus Christ. And immediately, there were some changes, some actions. I immediately gave up drinking, gave up the filthy mouth. It took a whole year to give up physically smoking. It took seven years to give up mentally smoking. What do you mean mentally? For seven years, those of you who have quit smoking, you know what I'm talking about. There, I mean, you could sit there and you have a nice meal and you're thinking about smoking a cigarette after a nice meal because there's nothing as relaxing as that. Okay? It took seven years. Now, here I am. I'm 27 years forward, 27 and a half years forward. God is still showing me things in my life that need to change. How does he show you? Conviction. Do you understand what I'm saying? Convicting me. Telling me, that's wrong, George. That's a bad attitude. Deal with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Deal with that action here. So I guess what I'm trying to say to you is here, is that we tend to think it's different, but it isn't. Works come out of our faith. In fact, here's what he says. James responds that works are the evidence of faith. So again, I just told you that. James responds that faith Works are the evidence of faith. So here, let me just stop for a moment. Here's how you really know if a person is saved. Faith can be seen, only seen by works. Faith can only be seen by works. And when I talk about works, I'm not talking about good deeds. That's a simple definition. Because people can do all the right things and still not be saved. But what I'm talking about is that there are evidences in that person's life. Like what? Well, if you go over to Galatians chapter 5, what are the fruits of the Spirit in a person's life? Love, joy, peace, patience. Do you know what I'm saying? Those are all evidences of what? The Holy Spirit working in your life, which says, which communicates what from you to you folks? That you are a child of God. Okay? So that's going to be seen in your life. 
Now, in verse 19, he talks about the limitations of belief. Now, here's the limitations of belief. Because you could say, well, I still don't grasp it, George, because all you need to do is just believe. Well, verse 19 is very interesting. Here's what he says. Faith of, James affirms that it's good to believe in one God, but there, that's not enough. James affirms that it's good to believe in God. It's even good to believe in Jesus, that he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross for you, but that's not enough. Really? How can he prove that to us? Well, look at verse 19. He tells you exactly how he does it. He supports his contention by showing that the demons believe in God. Okay, hold on a second here. I mean, let me just ask everybody, let's take a quick poll here. How many of you believe that the demons know who God is, believe who he is, know he's all-powerful, and that they very much know that God exists? How many of you believe that demons have an understanding of who God is and his power and everything? Okay, everybody, unanimous. Okay? Boy, the candidates would love to have that kind of poll, wouldn't they? Okay. All right. Now, here's the thing. but we also know that they keep rebelling, don't they? They keep fighting God. They keep tormenting His people. Are they, are they bowing down in repentance towards God? Because they know who He is. They knew who He was when they rebelled against Him. Is that belief in God changing them? See, this is the thing. Just simply somebody saying to you, I believe in Jesus, but they're going on and living their old, same old way, whatever... This is what he's saying. There's a limitation to belief. It's got to go beyond belief. It's got to go to the issue of faith. Remember what I said about the doctor. I can sit there and believe that that she's got the credentials when she checks me out. But it's going to be whether or not I have faith in her and what she tells me to do, right? Here's another one. Auto mechanic. we got one sitting right over here. You know, if I go to his stall, I can see all his little certificates and stuff from GM. And I can believe that he could turn a wrench and do my job. But I'm going to bring my car to him based on whether or not I, what, have faith in him. Do you understand? So this is my point. Simply believing is not enough because the demons believe. In fact, the demons believe. Look at what it says there. James is very interesting. The demons believe and what? Tremble. They're scared. But that doesn't lead them to faith. Okay? That doesn't lead them to faith. Let's go on here now. Here's what he's saying. Here's the rebuke. James addresses their ignorance as foolishness. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? He's saying... He's saying, look, if you're, if you're not comprehending that works is an evidence of your faith, you're foolish. You're ignorant. You don't truly understand. And how many of us choose to be ignorant with people in our lives who profess one thing, but they live something else? You know, I'm a dad. I've got four kids. Some of the hardest conversations I have with my children is this, Lori and I have with our kids, is saying to them, 
You know, I'm not sure about your soul. Do not trust in the fact that you grew up in a pastor's home that that's going to get you to heaven. The evidence in your life is something else. Are you aware of that? Those are the kind of conversations I have with my kids. I just don't assume that because at a younger age, when Lori prayed with them, that they're okay or that they made the decision on their own, that they're okay. Do you understand? You don't reinforce a decision years ago. You reinforce where they are right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't reinforce a decision years ago. You reinforce right now because the evidence of right now is shown in what? How they live their lives. Faith is evidenced by what? How they live their lives. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying, and so a lot of us choose to act with our loved ones out of ignorance. And he calls us foolish for doing that. Out of ignorance. So he's foolish. So here's what he's saying. Faith is not evidenced by, faith that is not evidenced by works is meaningless and useless. So if there's no evidence in their life, and and maybe a works, that's an older word, but maybe the better thing, if there's no evidence in their life, Attitude-wise, heart-wise, all of that could be right in there. If there's no evidence there of faith, folks, then don't tell them they're saved because they prayed a prayer 20 years ago. Do you understand? Here's what the Apostle Paul will tell us. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians... He lists a whole list of sins there. And it's a big list. And he says, I don't want anyone to deceive you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You notice what he says there, anyone deceive you. Folks, I think there's a lot of deception going on within the church today among Christians because we turn a blind eye because we believe, oh yeah, he's saved. I was there when he prayed a prayer. We can't do that. Faith that is not evidenced by works is meaningless and useless. So now he's going to give us an example of faith. That's where we're going to wrap up here. Look at verse 21 through 26. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For for as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works is dead also. Okay, so what's he talking about here? First of all, the example of Abraham. Abraham was justified by his offering Isaac on an altar. So he's saying here that Abraham was justified by Offering Isaac on an altar. Now, what's he talking about here? 
works are an expression and a completion of faith. Because here's what's going on here. Remember, if you go back to Genesis, God told Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, up to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him. Now, Abraham was obedient and he did what God told him to do. And the reason why he went ahead and did what God told him to do is because he had what? Faith in God. And so that offering was an expression of his what? Faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what he's saying here. Works are an expression and a completion of your faith. Works are an expression and a completion of your faith. For instance, we're going to be doing baptisms here in a little bit. We've got five people who are going to be baptized. Baptism is the first step of obedience. What do you mean by that, George? The Lord Jesus told us what? Go into all the world? What? Make disciples? Baptizing them? That's the next step is baptism. It's a completion of their faith. Now, it's not faith. It's not what saves them. But it's an expression of what? Their faith. You understand what I'm saying? It's an expression of their faith. So here's what he says. Abraham was justified by his faith, which was evidenced by his what? Works. His faith justified him, but his works what evidenced his faith. Does everybody understand? I, I don't want to confuse anybody here. So then here's what he says. Man is justified by faith expressed in action and not by simple belief. Man is justified by faith expressed in action and not by simple belief. He gives us the example of Rahab. Rahab's faith in God was expressed in her protection of the spies. Remember when Rahab talked to the spies? She said, we knew about your God and what he did to Egypt. She had put her faith in the reality of who that God was, who had done all that to Egypt and was getting ready to do that to Jericho. And so she's saying, this is why I'm protecting you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Her faith in God was evidenced by what? Her protection of the spies. So he's going to give us a principle here. So he's going to draw an analogy between the body and faith. A physical body and faith. So he's going to draw an analogy here. So here it is. Just as the body is dead without a spirit. All of us have been to funerals, right? You've been to a viewing of a loved one, right? Don't need to raise your hand. All of us have. And, and I, I am always amazed when I go to a funeral. And I go into the viewing line and I'm there when it's a loved one. It's not them, is it? It isn't them. It's a shell. Something's missing, right? What's missing, folks? Spirit. Their spirit's not there. This is what James is saying. Just as the body is dead without a spirit. What's he saying? So faith. So is faith without the evidence of works. 
just as dead as that body in a casket without a spirit. Your faith without any evidence of it is in your life, is what James is saying. It needs to be expressed there. Okay, we're, we're out of time because we've got people waiting to get in here. Let's, let's close our time. If you want to argue with me or you want to ask questions, we can do that later. And, uh, but the whole point is, you say you love Jesus? Great. Does your life show it? You say you love Jesus? Great. But does your life show it? That's the whole point.